Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. I'm Chris Lopez, pastor of North Hollywood New Abbey. Today we're talking about celebrating and wandering. The question for you today is, what kind of stories has the church told about you? treat you all with a little gift, we have a wonderful spoken word from Dakota. I once saw God dressed as a toad under a rock in my parents' backyard. On that patch of grass, the world was infinite, and so were the stories I told. I could do magic before it was witchcraft. I was a prince once. Before poverty became the mark of a saint, five-year-old me wore a cape. And though we couldn't tell you what love was, with his back, firmly planted in the green, gaps in my baby tooth smile to the sky, he could feel it. In this time, before my disinterest in sports became problematic to my dad, and before Justin's mom decided he didn't need a friend like me, we were too young to be religious, too joyous in the kingdom of my brown wooden fence, you couldn't convince me that a god who loves to draw planets and stars in the curved beauty of a circle, only loves his children who are straight. But I couldn't tell you when it happened. When my biggest concern for the day switched from which game to play at recess to the octave of my voice and how often I used my hands to speak. I confess I lied. To every pastor who asked me what I was praying for at that time, good grades, I would say. And if they were unconvinced, maybe a girlfriend too. I wasn't born this way. I have always suspected that hating others is a learned behavior, and I'm beginning to think that hating yourself is too. I had a cape once. But I've spent too many Sundays communing with my demons and with devils who say amen. I drank poison in the place of healing, one Sunday at a time. Thus the healing of my backyard kingdom began to retreat. And as the voice inside me did the same, battle lines were drawn over who had God in their corner. I still carry the scars. The schoolyard bullies, poor theology, and a poverty of empathy. And with every new story, the bruises continue to slip past my ribs. And the world becomes just a bit smaller. I'm trying to learn the shape and texture of a heart that has fully embraced itself. And the meaning of a thing like pride because no acronym or rainbow parade will ever sum up the courage it has taken to simply be myself. So call me a heretic, but on clear summer days, I can still feel the grass under my feet when I think back to that place. And I have visions of healing, redemption of the grandest sort, a revival of all the parts of myself I lost along the way, of who I once was, and who I'm still dying to become. So for our neighbors, children, humanity, and a poet like me that is still trying to see God through the chaos, I have to get back to my brown wooden kingdom. We must begin to tell a bigger story. are going to do a joint sermon today, which I'm incredibly excited about. Here we go. 
sermon fans. I like it. Joint sermon uh, Chris is one of our new pastors at New Abbey North Hollywood. They are developing a core team as we speak. If you're interested or live in North Hollywood or don't live in North Hollywood but want to be a part of that, you can come talk to Chris and or Darren, wherever Darren is hiding. There's Darren. Um, and so this is like the the first moment where you guys are going to get to hear in a deeper way about Chris and his narrative, and so we're excited to share the story together. Uh, and we are in this Luke series where we've been in it for a year and a month now. And part of the process for us as a community is that we are all people who are probably deconstructing. We're a group of people who are letting some things go where we're asking ourselves some bigger questions. What I say all the time at New Abbey is I believe that you don't come here for better answers, you come here for better questions. You come here to tell a bigger story about who God is and what it means to be human. And so one of the ways that we do that is that we believe that we need to have a diversity of people sharing their stories. That we don't believe in any way, shape, or form that this straight white male has all of the answers or application for your life. A surprise, I know. <laughs> but that we need the full diversity of God's people to tell the narratives of what's going on. We need a full diversity of God's people to look at the scriptures and say, these are the lenses in which I see it through. And so we are gonna talk about celebration today, but in order to do that, we gotta do some things. So we gotta talk about inclusive versus exclusive. Z was drinking over there, you know? Forgetting what he's doing. No big deal. Pre-gaming. That's good. We got to talk about sinners, right? Sunday morning. That sounds like a good time. Uh, we got to talk about wonderlust, harmful heroes, some calloused feet, the multiverse, because Marvel, am I right? And then we're going to talk about what it means to be celebrated. I get conversations a lot of times uh, with other pastors who are curious about New Abbey and about what's going on, and they're very curious at times about our inclusive nature. Really what they're trying to get to about an hour in of coffees or margaritas, hopefully margaritas, is they want to know how I got there theologically about the LGBTQ conversation or something like that. And what I tell them is that whether it was eight years ago because people were wigging out about love wins and is there a heaven or a hell, or is the conversation now LGBTQ, that that's not the thing behind the thing behind the thing behind the thing. The real question that we all start with with God is, is God inclusive or is God exclusive? That's where you begin. Does your story begin with an exclusive God and the story somehow begins in Genesis 3 with the problem where there's a talking snake and a magical tree and this God is trying to solve that problem for the rest of history because this God is mad at the choices we made somewhere back in a garden in a literal 6,000 years ago, something like that. Anybody there? But that's not the story. The story begins in Genesis 1 with an inclusive God who creates everything and I mean everything, and then begins to call it good, and good, and good, and good. And the story starts with inclusivity because I believe that's who God is, that God didn't go through 13.8 billion years of evolutionary creation and history just for the last few, whatever, 100,000 years of it to be bugged about some people who ate from a tree. And I'm not trying to be trite about that, and I'm not trying to belittle that, I still believe that we need to talk about things like sin. 
I think, though, that what we've done is we've created arbitrary lists to talk about sin instead of talking about a God who is so inclusive that this God makes the entire universe to be enjoyed and recognizes that as human beings, we love power. And at times, because of that and whatever power dynamics are in our lives, that we get hurt and that hurt people hurt people. That's the real story. And when we hurt people from our individual stuff to our systemic corporate things, that's where real pain happens in the world. And we need mythology, stories like the garden, to help guide us to a deeper truth about the hurt that we experience and the hurt that we can propagate in this world. But that is not where the story begins. The story begins with an inclusive God who includes and makes everything, and nothing is outside the scope of this God. And so you either start with a story of generative good that is constantly moving out in the universe, or you start a story that is exclusive and that there is a problem. And the only way to handle this problem is we need to define who's in and who's out. And what's interesting is that even within Christianity, we can't decide that amongst ourselves. And so I always want to begin the conversation at a much deeper level about who is this God and what do we believe about this God and what this God is trying to accomplish in the world. That Jesus didn't come to change your, Jesus didn't come to change God's mind about you. That Jesus came to change our minds about God. That this was a good God who has always loved us and from the very beginning has said, you are my sons and you are my daughters. And with you I love you. And with you I enjoy you. And the whole narrative is a reminder back to that core of our identity. That's an incredibly different story of inclusivity, and it changes the way that we subdivide the world into tribalism and where the story's going. Now, here's my proof for you that the Bible is always becoming more inclusive and not exclusive, is that just look at the natural flow of the scriptures. The scriptures start with God revealing God's self to a person, right? We call that the story of Abraham, and then to a family, it's getting bigger, and then to a tribe, and then to a nation. And then even in that story, God reveals God's self in the flesh of a human being in Jesus. And then even Jesus says, this story is going to get bigger than that. It's a reminder that God's spirit has always been in each and every one of you. No temple, no creed, no dogma. The Bible itself does not hold all that God is. We do. That's the inclusive nature of scriptures. That's the inclusive nature of the story. But what the problem is is that we have all these sound bites going on where we want to pick all of the exclusive verses and then use that to try telling a story of what God's doing. My favorite verse that people misuse all the times is, is, is Romans 3.23. Right? For all have sinned and fall short of the, of the glory of God. And no one ever repeated verse 24 to you. And all are freely justified by God's grace. That's a story of inclusivity. That's the story of a universal God who wants to radically include everything and not keep it separated. And we most see this, I believe, this inclusive nature of who God is in the life of Jesus. That Jesus was not a theologian. Jesus was a practitioner. Jesus will always take his disciples and he shows them the kingdom of God. He doesn't sit in a room and say, well, what we need to do here is learn a little bit of Greek. We've got to exegete this. And then I'm going to tell you this idea of inclusivity. 
Am I right? No. Jesus says, they've told you that Samaritans aren't real people. Let's go hang out with the Samaritans. They've told you that the prostitutes are sinners. They will wash my feet. They have told you that so-and-so and this person, and you name it, that the, those that are demon-possessed have no place in the kingdom of God, and those are the people that I am bringing healing to. Jesus shows the radical, inclusive nature of who this God is, and that wherever Jesus goes, Jesus leaves people better than he found them, and that's healing, and that's a way bigger story than we've often been told. So let me give you the setup. And then we're going to get into the story from Luke 15. You need to understand that in Jesus' day, when you talked about sinners, it wasn't how we talked about sinners today. It wasn't some arbitrary moral list that whoever is the powerful Christian group or whoever is the powerful religious group right then gets to decide the things that you can do and can't do. Right? If you went to a Baptist church, you couldn't smoke. If you went to a Presbyterian church, it wasn't this. Right? You name it, there was the things. But Jesus is always trying to show us that this idea of sinner was much bigger than that. In Jesus' world, in the Gospel of Luke in particular, whenever you talk about sinner, it's the idea that this was a person who didn't get to go through the temple system to be cleansed. That's what a sinner meant. You were somebody who had to go to a temple and, you know, offer your pigeon, your goat, or your whatever. Um, and then when you did the thing, now you were cleansed from your sin. Often there were these people who didn't have the money, who didn't belong in the system, or for whatever various reasons were so unclean, they never even had a chance to go through the system to be cleansed so that they wouldn't be sinners anymore. And what you have to remember is that in Jesus' day, they thought about God in a radically different way than we think about God today. It was all about geographical location. How close were you to the Holy of Holies and to the temple? And the further you were away from that thing, the more of a sinner you were, which is why you went to the temple to go get cleansed. So Jesus is turning upside down an exclusive world in an exclusive way in which you talk about God. And guess what? It's not that much different than the exclusive ways in which we talk about God. You have to raise your hand a certain way, be baptized a certain way, sign the certain pledge card, go to the certain purity camp, be a part of this denomination, have the right translation of Bible, you name it. And then we tell people when you have that thing, then you're closer to God. But Jesus is always pushing those boundaries out and saying, no, that's not how this thing works. What I want is the most extreme sinners so that you can see if these people can experience God, then the rest of you could as well. What a radically different, inclusive story of who Jesus is. And then here's the next setup before we get to the passage. Jesus often uses the most marginalized people to tell the biggest story of the kingdom of God. Jesus uses stories about shepherds. We don't have a lot of those in Los Angeles in 2019. So we would say the trans, whatever, person of color, chronically homeless kid. That's the story that Jesus is using. The person most marginalized by our society, the person that we don't often care for, that's who Jesus is using in the story. Because a shepherd back in the day 2,000 years ago was somebody who was deemed unclean because they dealt with sheep shit. That's the theological Greek word in case you were wondering. <laughs> and so put whoever you want in that story now, that's who Jesus uses. And then Jesus will often do stories not near the temple, Jesus will tell stories or go to people who are in the wilderness. 
And if you are in the wilderness, you are as far from God as possible. So with those things in mind, Luke 15, my friends. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners, what? People who couldn't be a part of the temple system, who weren't able to go offer the appropriate gifts so that they were no longer sinners, often came to listen to Jesus teach. You're telling me it wasn't the evangelical megachurch pastors, the priests, and the archdiocese who came to listen? No, that's not who was there. And this made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. This is scandalous. All of the people who are supposed to know God most are the people who have a stake in this game for power. And what Jesus is doing is Jesus is letting everybody in the church, so to speak. Jesus has no lines, and he's hanging out with the most notorious, scandalous people and doing an intimate thing, sharing a meal with them. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep, a shepherd, okay, so let's set this up already for you. Jesus is hanging out with the worst of the worst, so he's already outside the boundaries of what's comfortable and what's known. Now he's telling a story about shepherds, so the circle gets even bigger. And as a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness? What? The wilderness? Now the story's getting even bigger. You have the sinners that Jesus is hanging out with outside of the circle. He's talking about shepherds who are even outside of that circle. And then even this shepherd who has sheep is taking these sheep to the wilderness. How far are we away from the systems now? Incredibly far. And then not only are we talking about 100 sheep who are outside of the system, outside of the wilderness, they're way beyond the reach of God, there was even one of these sheep who couldn't handle that and traveled even further. And he was found, and what, no, where am I at? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Jesus is the master storyteller. Jesus is often telling us stories that push the boundaries and the edges of who we think is in and who we think is out. And Chris is somebody who loves storytelling. He loves Marvel comics. He loves the multiverse. He loves a bigger narrative that's taking place. And so Chris Lopez is going to break this thing down, everybody. Chris Lopez. So Wanderlust. We, we all love it. We're LA. We're people out here who love to wander. Uh, and sometimes we love to wander because we don't know what else to do but wander. Sometimes we are wandering because of the very narratives we embody, the very narratives that we carry. Sometimes we're wandering because we don't know where to go. Some of us are deconstructing our faith to such a point that where could we go to still be a part of the community? Maybe there's some things that we still don't want to give up on, but maybe some things we don't know that we need to hold on to, but where do we go for that? Sometimes we wander because we're just simply not interested in what's available keeping the church thing going. Sometimes it's, we're so tired of that one demographic, owning the stage, owning the mic, owning the Bible, owning this, owning that, that we just can't handle going to another place where even there's a piece of that. 
So why bother with that? Sometimes we wander because we're just simply not welcome where we would like to go because of who we're attracted to, who we want to marry, who we identify as is not welcome. There are some of us who, because of their age and all their lived experience, the communities that rather prefer the fresh and the new, those people with all that valued lived experience have no place to go. And so they've been wandering for so long and yet still have to wander. And in all those situations, we can interchange them for different reasons, for different stories. But the reality is we're all wanderers. For me, as I've shared multiple times, that story was race. And it started for me during a season of my life where I was young, watching what I thought were my superheroes. But looking back now, I realized there were more harmful heroes to me. For example, Peter Parker. I mean, love his story, love that narrative. Um, I never saw myself in him to an extent. Every time he took off the mask, I was reminded, oh, I'm not Peter Parker. And all the people close to Peter didn't look like me. It was the outskirts, the wilderness character, so to speak, where I saw myself, but that was maybe two seconds of an episode. And so in this weird way, I wasn't mad at Spider-Man. I'm still happy. I got a Spider-Man hat, but I didn't really recognize in that moment. I just felt like, oh, there's just no place for me in that. And I kind of naturalized that. I assumed that, just thought that's not a place for me. And so my story wandered. Then fast forward a little bit to a final project in US history at a private Christian school, already a red flag. That's <laughs> <laughs> how it is. A lot of guilty laughter. A lot of, guilty <laughs> laughter. A lot of people have debts at Shmasuza Pacific University. <laughs> And so for this final project, the teacher wanted us to create this vast family tree that he was assuming would take people's different lineages throughout the stories and the histories we were studying. And during the time of talking to people about how they were preparing for their project, I was just one, amazed and then slightly embarrassed. They're going all the way back, some to the Mayflower, some even beyond, pulling up all of these documents, all of these lineages from Ancestry.com. And I didn't have any of that. Uh, and during the presentation time, everybody's got their family trees on the Prezi outline, and it's zooming everywhere. It's zooming in. It's zooming out. Pages are flipping. Big ships and their ancestors, the captains of those ships. And then I get to my timeline, and I know who my immediate uh, grandparents are and a few great-grandparents. And so I had my little family tree up on the screen, and the professor is like, all right, Chris, looks like you need to zoom out there. Show us a little more. And I was like, um, I could. I could tell you some stories about them. But to be honest, and then I had to go into explaining how the, in, like, if we want to get into ancient ancestors, the indigenous people of the island of Borinquen, what is now called Puerto Rico, they weren't really the kinds of people who were privileged enough to have those certain documents, uh, valued enough to uh, be inscribed in some kind of book and some kind of statue. Then the African part of my ancestry that was captured and brought over to the island of Borinquen, they were documented in a different way, documented as property. And I said, well, we can get further on when they started uh, intermingling, so to speak, as a Christian school, so I had to put that language there. Um, but as you know, not many Spanish lords are about to 
acknowledge that they knocked up an indigenous person or an African. So we don't, I was like, we don't really have, I don't really have that lineage to unfold. I don't really have a full outline to show. And, you know, you could, it was just, it was one, an uncomfortable moment, but just such an embarrassing moment because the teacher was just like, all right, thank you. Thank you for that. And in that moment, I clearly realized that this, whatever th that classroom was, it was not, it, 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 in, the very, in the nicest way, it wasn't thinking of me. And in the most difficult way, it wasn't meant for me. And that's my story. That's one of the reasons why I wander. But again, there are all types of reasons. We're wandering for all sorts of things. And sometimes we're wandering so much that we become callous to the need that we want to be found, that we want to be validated, that we want to be seen for why we wander and why we continue to wander. We just feel like this is how it is. This is how it'll go. I'm, I'm fine on my own. I can do me. Then there, or the more tragic thing, which I've experienced, is that we feel like we need to assimilate. We need to change our narrative. We know that there's no way this narrative is going to get into that space, into that community, onto that TV screen, onto that Prezi outline. So maybe we change it up. That's how I went a lot of my life, thinking I know I'm not alone in that. But then a few years ago, I discovered a wider Marvel narrative, a multiverse of the Marvel people. And all of a sudden, I see these writers of color telling stories about characters of color. I see Tyna Hesse Coates taking on Black Panther. I see Roxane Gay talking about the Dora Milaje. I see Miles Morales on the big screen. I see Sana Amane and G. Willow Wilson, Muslim American women, telling the story of Miss Marvel. And it was the weirdest moment. These, just seeing this bigger Marvel universe, seeing my story in some way associated with the center of what's going on in a multitude of other types of stories, that my color was associated with heroic, it did wonders for me. And as I shared before, it's funny that this Marvel universe that I've walked into and have been loving and been inspired by kind of outpaced the story of my faith. Like I, I was already beginning to know that God is a God who is aware of our wider narratives. God is a God who knows that there are different types of people to include in the community, but I had, I had never felt that inclusivity. I had never felt being found by God before. And it was on one day, talking, meeting up with a Latino theologian at a coffee shop, sitting at a table with him, sharing my story for the first time with him and how I'm just starting to learn Spanish, how I'm just beginning to embrace those three different lineages of African, indigenous, and Spanish, tracing those lines, telling those narratives. And he received that. And he basically told my story back to me in a way that led my wandering narrative to the table, to the table of Christ, to the table of Jesus, where there was actually a seat for this Puerto Rican American kid who had grown up with harmful heroes and a lame Prezi outline. That was unreal to me. That was a moment where I truly felt found in the deepest and most cosmological way. Like the universe saw me because there was a table set by this universe creating God. 
thinking of me, but also all the narratives. And I know that's what we're all, in a way, seeking. We're seeking for that being found. And that's what I love about this image of Jesus. Jesus is not found with these wanderers in a classroom, not found in another makeshift temple, but he's sitting down with them, hearing their stories. And it's no matter how far or how long or how scandalous your narrative is or where it takes you, there's a God of the universe who's not only aware of that story, but seeking out not to bring you back, not to change that narrative and assimilate it to the kind of narrative that everybody likes, but to sit down with you where you're at and have you tell your story. And I thought that was enough just to know, but being able to come here, things like interesting person, being celebrated, not just validated for my narrative, but celebrated for it and where it's going, I think that's the true journey that God wants to take our wandering narratives on from wherever they're at to a place of validation and celebration. I'm like a proud papa bear right now. (laughs) This is good. I think Chris's story is all of our stories and why we're even attracted to a community like this, is that at the end of the day, we can all name wandering. Whether we're wandering because of our own choices and the things that we've gone through, that's my narrative, that I've been able to stand up on a stage since we began New Abbey and talk about stories that I was an adulterer of my unfaithfulness and that how that's not even the deepest component of me, that I'm a sex addict, that I still have to go to a 12-step group, that on a daily basis I make a call to a sponsor because of how my hurts and my wounds and my mommy issues and my whatever shaped my life. And I don't have to hide from that. And that there's other people in this room who experience addiction and that when I share about those things, you come up to me afterwards and you say, I'm wandering too. And I never thought that there would be a space where I could talk about this or I could talk about that or that when I did talk about it, I had to talk about it with a pretty bow that it's all been cleaned up. But it hasn't. And neither is mine. That every day is a journey. That every day is difficult. That every day that there are old tapes that still make me want to wander. That we come to a place like this where we not only talk about the fact that we've wandered, but that we long for healing that we long to be able to tell our stories, that we long to be found, that we did the thing where we deconstructed so much where you said to yourself, well, I guess God's just not big enough for this, and then you found out that God was, that God does care, that God does want to find you, whether it's because of your choices or because of a society or systems that told you that you're not welcomed, and everything in between that this God finds you and seeks you and there's no place that we go that we've wandered to or that others have pushed us to wander to in which God does not go. But yet the thing that is maybe most beautiful in this community is the way that we get to celebrate one another in which you are hoisted on some shoulders in which you are brought back and your story is used to change the ethos and the DNA of who this community is, that every time somebody shares their story, like any good family, it reshapes who we are, about how big we thought this God could be, about how big we thought this universe could be, about how big this human story could reach. 
and we celebrate one another. And every time that somebody gets to tell their story about where they were wandering or about where others pushed them out into the wilderness or wherever you find yourself, it expands us, it grows us, it transforms us. And eventually it matures us because we begin to hear stories that were maybe radically different than the stories of our own or the stories that we grew up with. But every time somebody shares their narrative, it embodies something different about God's kingdom and who God is. I had the privilege this week of working with a bunch of church planters from all over Southern California, and they were all Latino and Hispanic pastors where they had to translate for me when I spoke. And when I'm speaking to them, my translator was like bringing some real passion when he was speaking. And every time I'd finish my sentence, he'd say his sentence. And I'm like, I think you're telling a better story than I'm telling about my own life. <laughs> and it was this beautiful community where they're telling these stories. And in, in this context, I get to just tell about New Abbey and the diversity of what's taking place here and the healing that's happening. And they start to ask me some questions of, well, how do you advertise or promote your community? And I stopped for a second. And I thought to myself, oh, we don't. All that we trust in is that as I find healing and as that you find healing, you're going to want others to find healing as well. That as your life transforms and as my life transforms, we want to make sure that other people's lives are transformed as well. And that's maturity. When we recognize wherever we've been and wherever we've been brought, our story can be celebrated here. We can be known. We can be validated. We can be affirmed. We can truly be seen for who we are. And if we can get a little bit of a taste of it, even on a Sunday morning when you could be at brunch, my friends, then we get to take these things back with us into the rest of our lives. Where some of you are brave enough to tell your family who you truly are now. Some of you can go into the workplace and declare what your life is about. Some of you can have a different kind of relationship. Some of you can address the real hurts, the real pains, the real brokenness that has made a lesser version of yourself, and you can say, I can be known despite all of these things. That's the beauty of what's taking place here. That's not about anybody on a stage. That's not about a monopoly on one narrative. That's about a body of people committed to being found in a body of people committed to celebrating each other's stories. And so we're gonna get back in our groups in a minute and we're going to ask some deeper questions. But first, I just wanna take some time to pause. I'm gonna ask you all to close your eyes. We're gonna do a little meditative breathing here. If you're uncomfortable with this, just close your eyes. <laughs> take a minute to breathe in and to breathe out. And as you breathe in and as you breathe out, would you remind yourself of why you've wandered? And as you breathe in and as you breathe out, would you remind yourself of the glimmers of healing that you're experiencing?
And as you breathe in and as you breathe out, would you remind yourself of how you've been celebrated or how you hope to be celebrated, how you hope to be known or seen or validated? And Jesus, we thank you that you tell the biggest stories possible in which every single human being is included. And for all the ways, God, that we judge ourselves, that we shame ourselves, that we told ourselves we're not enough, we trust, God, that you meet us and that you care for us. And God, we pray for your healing to continue to take place amidst one another, trusting that your spirit is here and that you are working and that through our shared stories, through our very bodies that we breathe in and out of right now, God, is where you are doing work to transform and to mature. And we celebrate one another and the diversity of work that you are doing. And together, God, would we tell the biggest story of Los Angeles, biggest story of you in Los Angeles in 2019. Amen. If you'd find those same four or five people around you, would you ask these questions, answer these questions? Where are you in your journey? Do you feel like you're wandering? Do you feel like you're found? Do you feel like you're being celebrated? And maybe where do you hope to be? Enjoy. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.